and welcome to CausePods. I'm your host, Matthew Passy. Here at CausePods, we have one simple mission, to highlight the amazing folks who are using podcasts as a way to raise awareness for good causes and make the world a better place, whether it's in their own local community or they're taking on global issues. Please visit us at causepods.org where you can learn about our guest show, their favorite charitable cause, join our Facebook group with resources for cause-based podcasters, and find a link where you yourself could be a guest here on CausePods. Again, that's all at causepods.org. All right, folks, we are going to do something a little bit different here today. We are joined by Rich Bendis. He's the founder, president, and CEO of BioHealth Innovation. BioHealth Innovation is all about raising awareness and helping to stoke biohealth innovation and business development in the biohealth capital region. That's the area between basically Baltimore, DC and Virginia, especially in this past year with everything going on related to the pandemic and health crises. Now's as good a time as any to think about and to highlight the folks who are trying to make us all healthier and better people. And before we get started, and before I say welcome to Rich, I should also just disclose real quickly that Rich and Biotalk are in fact a client of the podcast consultant. So it is a double honor to have him here on today. Rich, thank you so much for joining us here on CausePods. And Matthew, thank you very much for introducing me with Andy Eckert to podcasting. We've been doing this four years now and have over 85 podcasts, which you've been involved in helping edit and produce. So you're doing a great job, Rich, Matthew. So to thank us a you very bit much. More in depth what it is that BioHealth Innovation does and why you are involved in this space specifically. BioHealth Innovation is a nonprofit 501c3 private-public partnership. So we created, or I basically created, BioHealth Innovation to identify emerging scientists, researchers, entrepreneurs, businesses who have what we term to be commercially relevant science and technology that may have the opportunity to get into the marketplace to improve people's lives. And so, I mean, we hope that with the science and the entrepreneurs we're supporting, there may be some new discoveries that would enable people to increase the quality of their life based on a new therapeutic diagnostic vaccine that we're trying to help entrepreneurs or small businesses get access to the resources they need to evaluate the market potential, commercialization opportunities, identify the strategic partners for them that may come from industry, as well as potential investors that might be interested in funding their business or their science, either from a dilutive or a non-dilutive perspective, meaning getting access to grants at the federal, state, local level that might help support this high-risk research, which is difficult to fund in the early entrepreneurial stage. Is this how medical research has always been? It feels like something as important as our health and medical research, and you know, obviously in the backdrop of a pandemic, the kind of incredible work that we've seen in developing vaccines so quickly and raising awareness and trying to keep people safe. Like, Was the space always this convoluted, complicated, are, is there work being done to make it more efficient or is this really the best way for it to for innovation to happen? Well, it's a challenging environment. It's not like you're trying to develop an app which you can actually write in a day 
sometimes. A lot of this research requires regulatory approval. It has to go through clinical trials. It takes a long time to get a medical device or a therapeutic or a diagnostic or a vaccine into the marketplace normally. It takes a lot of money, a lot of patience. You have to have uh, extremely qualified scientists who are working at the bench or in the laboratory working on this science. And I think what's unusual, Matthew, is it's you can see that with what 19, when you put all the parts to bear that could actually accelerate this process, what it takes is partnership between government, academia, and industry working together. You know that Project Warp Speed, which was a federal program to help accelerate the discovery of a vaccine for COVID-19. They invested almost $20 billion that went to small and large companies to accelerate their research because a lot of companies would not traditionally fund this research themselves because there wouldn't have been a market for the product or the science or the technology. And they wanted to get a vaccine developed as quickly as possible so we could get shots in the arms of people. And what normally would have taken five to seven years to get a new vaccine in the market, has, as we have seen, basically with what's happening with Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, we were able to do this in less than a year. So what you're seeing is non-traditional commercialization of research occurring when everybody has the ability to work together and you have that adequate funding that can accelerate the discovery that's needed in an emergency or a crisis or a pandemic situation. So in the non-traditional world, Matthew, basically it is much more complicated. It doesn't happen as quickly. The funding isn't generally there for this high-risk research. The market has not been identified that you can get something into the marketplace until you get it further into its discovery and its clinical trial phases. So we are very fortunate in the buy and health capital region. We have become somewhat the epicenter around COVID-19 solutions for it in a therapeutic diagnostic and a vaccine space. We've been very fortunate that 40% of the federal funding that's gone into the research to discover vaccines has come right into almost one county in the United States, Montgomery County, Maryland, where we have AstraZeneca, where we have GlaxoSmithKline, we have Novavax, we have Emergent Biosolutions, who has been a long-term supplier of anthrax vaccines to the federal government and is now going to be in the process because of the expertise they have in manufacturing, of manufacturing an AstraZeneca and a Johnson Johnson right here in our biohealth capital reason. I guess the key is we've been very fortunate to be in this epicenter to help create some of the solutions for this pandemic. And as you know, we also have the FDA located in Montgomery County, Maryland. So you've had the emergency youth authorization, the accelerated approvals for these vaccines, which had to go through the FDA. We've had the HHS, BARDA, NIH, NIAD, which Dr. Fauci runs right in our backyard in Montgomery County, Maryland as well. So long-winded answer to say two parts. One, we're going through non-traditional 
discovery of this vaccine for the pandemic because of the crisis that's been created globally. But entrepreneurs, scientists, and researchers generally don't have the benefit of a crisis to take their markets through that commercialization phase to evaluate whether or not they can get it into the marketplace. I think notably when we talk about the vaccines that we are getting, right? A lot of people, you know, they were talking about Moderna and they're talking about Pfizer and they're talking about Johnson and Johnson, but much of the vaccine was actually developed by smaller firms that were then acquired by these larger institutions, right? And well, that's true. And then also you have scientists and researchers around the world and in the United States who have been doing work on monoclonal antibodies that are necessary to develop the vaccines. And these researchers generally may have been funded through the National Institute of Health, who funded a grant to their university for them to conduct this research. And one of the ones we know very well is Dr. James Crow, who's one of the top researchers vaccine world is at Vanderbilt University. He's helped develop the antibody for the AstraZeneca vaccine in uh, collaboration with Oxford University. And as as we know, it's not in the United States yet, but it's being used in the United Kingdom and Canada and some other countries around the world. Dr. Crow has also done work around the GSK, J&J, Emergent Biosolutions. So you're correct that the scientists sometimes who are unknown are the ones behind the research that actually gets us to that final product that is being developed or produced by these large corporations whose names we know, but sometimes the, the, the hidden talent is happening in a small laboratory in a small business or in a uh, research university that helps get this product to market quicker. And hence why a BHI exists in the world to make those connections, make those relationships, help people with, you know, funding and grants and connecting them with the other institutions in the area. Like you said, being in the capital health region, right? You have clear access to the federal government and many of the agencies that are surrounding that are going to help them out. So, you know, that's what makes BHI such an important institution. So with all that being said, why is it that Almost four years ago, you and Andy, who we call affectionately called your handler earlier, why is it that BHI decided that you wanted to be in the podcasting game? What was it about this medium that you thought would be useful in your mission of you know making these connections and building these relationships? Well, Matthew, I've had a long history of doing uh, different types of communication externally, and I produce a daily newsletter called Daily, which I've been doing for almost 15 years now. It's an electronic newsletter that goes out. It's for free, no subscribers, and is trying to educate people on entrepreneurial innovation trends that are happening around the world. BHI also has an electronic newsletter, BHI News, which goes out to about 20,000 people once a week to do the same purpose of education, making people aware of what's going on within our industry. And also had the ability to do live radio. I used to have a radio show called Tech Talk and really enjoyed doing live interviews with people. Uh, and we focused on technology, innovation, entrepreneurship, and finance. And so I thought it was a natural extension because there wasn't anything being done in the biohealth capital region that was really trying to make people aware of the quality of the science, the researchers, the entrepreneurs that we have in our region. And we created Biotalk to give people exposure 
to uh, some of those unknown stars that we have in our region, as well as exposure to some of the larger companies, which they have time, uh, have difficulty accessing. And by doing a podcast with these leaders, whether they be entrepreneurs, scientists, government officials, CEOs of large corporations, we're making people aware of the organizations and talent that we have in the biohealth capital region and giving some of them exposure that they otherwise wouldn't get. And have you seen success from the podcast specifically? Are you, you know, there's a famous podcaster who always says, you know, because of my podcast, and I wonder, because of this podcast, what has been the benefit to BHI and to the Capital Health region? Any specific examples or good stories you'd want to share with us? Well, I think that really the podcast is, you know, it was really a differentiated communication vehicle when we started it four years ago. And uh, what's happening now is rather than us having to go to people to ask them to appear on Biotalk podcast, we're getting inquiries from people all over the United States, as well as in our region, who have had a chance to listen to it and are asking if they can be interviewed on the podcast as well. Now, what has that done for the biohealth capital region and BHI? It's given us exposure to a region that really sometimes is in the shadows of Boston, San Francisco, or New York City. And the other thing that it's helped do is propel us with our goal. We want to be a top three biopharma region or cluster in the United States by 2023. And about five years ago, we were ranked number six genetic engineering news and who does a annual ranking of the top 10 biopharma clusters in the United States. And in the last five years, based on everything that all of the stakeholders within the region have been working to do, we have climbed to number four. We bypassed San Diego and Research Triangle, and our goal is to bypass New York in the next couple of years. And we think that's achievable. So the podcast is just another one of those uh, instruments or vehicles that helps create awareness about the strength, uh, the strength of our companies, scientists, researchers, and the assets that we have within our region. So I, I think that's probably one of the best things that's happened as a result of the podcast is increased visibility, increased branding. And a number of people who have appeared on BioTalk have also uh, been able to generate new relationships or partnerships. And in some instances may have been introduced to new investors who heard them for the first time broadcasting on the BioTalk podcast. So the other thing we like to do on the show is we always like to raise awareness for a good cause. And I mean, you get to work with so many good causes, so many institutions, but one that is personal to you. You know, I know in our working relationship, we've talked about it a little bit, but you yourself have battled cancer a couple of times and you've had lots of family. And so uh, today we are raising awareness for the American Cancer Society, cancer.org. Obviously, we'll put a link in the show notes and anybody who uh, is able to, if you could click on there and, and give them a little donation, that'd be helpful. But, you know, tell us a little bit about your personal relationship to cancer, both for yourself and for your family and you know, why, I guess, what it is that you do is just also so important as, you know, with that backdrop in mind. Well, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's cancer has affects lots of people around the world and their families. And uh, there's almost every, uh, no family that has been touched in some way. But 
I guess it really started with my parents. They got to live a long life, which was very fortunate, 95 and 97. But my dad had prostate and colon cancer. My mother had colon cancer. My sister has had cancer. And as I have mentioned to you, I've had prostate cancer, went through radiation treatment. That just was about three years ago. We're at this point, cancer-free, had my checkup, checkup a couple months ago. And then also I've had some skin cancer twice. And, you know, that's probably one of those things when you're growing up, you never think about uh, being out in the sun and it comes back to haunt you later in life. And so, um, you know, that's something I would also tell everybody is uh, you never, you should always be protective of your skin. Always wear hats, always wear your sunscreen. Uh, had it once on my arm, once on my face. And again, that has been corrected and removed, but that, that also, uh, I'm vulnerable again, you know, and I have to be a lot more sensitive to what I do out in the sun in the future. But I, you know, we help support what's going on with prostate research. And, you know, one of the benefits of what I do every day, Matthew, is that with biohealth innovation, we have an inter- a chance to interact with the National Institute of Health. And for people who don't know it, there's 27 different research institutes that have NIH and they're all located within Montgomery County, Maryland. And of course, the largest institute is the National Cancer Institute. And we have the ability to help see some of the new discoveries coming out of the National Cancer Institute. And we have a a program called Residence where we have entrepreneurs and residents that work within the National Institute of Health, and they help uh, not just in the biohealth capital region, but they help support small businesses, entrepreneurs, and researchers throughout the whole United States. So I guess at this particular point in time, and especially with the pandemic in the last year, we've been blessed to be in the healthcare industry because we have not been as negatively impacted as many other industries were. Um, and also, you know, this research has to continue in spite of it, because a lot of people now know or recognize how important this research is that needs to be funded on an ongoing basis so that we can be proactive to address future diseases and pandemics rather than being reactive like we have this time. So, again, though, um, we've all been impacted by cancer Thank you for mentioning the American Cancer Society, which does very good work. And a lot of their money goes to significant research at an early stage for some of these well-known cancers, as well as what we would call orphan cancers a lot of people don't know about. Well, once again, folks, American Cancer Society, cancer.org, we'll put a link in the show notes. Rich, before we let you go, we always like to ask folks, you know, now that you've been doing this podcast for uh, almost four years, uh, as of this chat, we've... Uh, put together episode 84 together. What would be your advice to anybody else who has a good cause, who's trying to make a positive impact as far as, you know, what they could do to, you know, have a podcast or have an effective podcast? Well, basically, if you have an audience and you have a vision and a mission, best thing in the world to do is to share your knowledge, share your network, share your contacts, and utilize the podcast, which is not a very difficult vehicle to get into the business. I mean, if you have experts like my handler, as you say, Andy Eckert, and you have podcast masters like Matthew Passy, just basically surround yourself with the professionals and all they have to do is wind you up and you basically can create your podcast and you don't have to always do it in an interview forum format. You can do 
basically podcasts that are educational or you're just talking to the audience. But I like the interaction of having to, the ability to interact with people to get them involved in the podcast, give them exposure, make people aware of some of these interesting and stimulating people that we have around the United States and around the world. We've been chatting with Rich Bendis, president, founder, CEO of BioHealth Innovation, host of the BioTalk with Rich Bendis podcast. You can find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Rich, thank you so much for joining us here on Call Spots today. Thank you, Matthew. And keep up the good work and make sure that we edit BioTalk well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause Pods. If you've been inspired by the work of our guest, please check out the show notes to this episode in your podcasting app or at causepods.org. There you will find links to their show, their website, their podcast links on Apple, Google, Spotify, as well as a link to support the charity that they highlighted here in this episode. You will also find at causepods.org a way to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcasting app, how to sign up to be a guest on this show, and a link to our Facebook group, which is going to have special resources just for the folks who are podcasting for a good cause. And I can tell you right now, we've got one great deal from our friends at PodPage, but you're only going to learn about it and get that special deal if you are a member of the Facebook group for Cause Pods. And before I go, I should say thank you in particular. The show is edited and produced by Ben Kiloy of the Military Veteran Dads Podcast and what a great job he has done. And all this is made possible because of the great support that I receive from Shannon Rojas here at thepodcastconsultant.com. Once again, if you want to learn more, go to causepods.org. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time on Cause Pods. Mm-hmm.